This is Quotations, a podcast about words, written and spoken throughout history. If you can fill the unforgiving minute with 60 seconds worth of distance run, we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. No matter where you're from, your dreams are valid. The Pale Blue Dot, the only home we've ever known. Hello and welcome to Quotations. I'm Matthew Monroe. Here's today's quote. Quote, Gander, located in the central highlands of Newfoundland, 38 planes landed there on September 11th, depositing 6,595 passengers and crew members in a town whose population is barely 10,000. For the better part of a week, nearly every man, woman, and child in Gander and the surrounding small towns, places with names like Gambo and Appleton and Lewisport and Norris Arm, stopped what they were doing so they could help. They placed their lives on hold for a group of strangers and asked for nothing in return. They affirmed the basic goodness of man at a time when it was easy to doubt such humanity still existed. If the terrorists had hoped their attacks would reveal the weaknesses of Western society, the events in Gander proved its strength. End quote. And that quote is by author Jim DeFeedy. Jim DeFeedy was born August 11th, 1962. He attended Colorado State University and is a reporter, journalist, and also an author. He is the host, currently, of CBS4 Miami's Facing South Florida, and is the author of a single book, The Day the World Came to Town. The Day the World Came to Town chronicles a small town in Canada, Newfoundland to be specific, called Gander, as mentioned in the quote. Now, currently, Gander is a town of about 13,400 people. As of last year. In 2001, that number was closer to 10,000. And geographically speaking, Gander is about as far east as you can get and still be in Canada. So if you follow the map of Canada all the way out to the east, you'll see Newfoundland, you'll see Prince Edward Island, etc. Gander is out there in that part, dangling out there in the Atlantic, well beyond the normal boundary that you would associate with the easternmost part of, of North America. And... Interestingly, Gander is also on a number of flight paths for transatlantic flights because, for those that are familiar, most transatlantic flights follow a great circle path, meaning they fly north, leaving the United States, say, New York City. When you depart New York City, you don't head due east to get to Europe because actually the fastest way to get there, because the Earth is round, is to fly north and to fly up in the direction of that easternmost portion of Canada across, maybe crossing over Iceland, Greenland, um, or near Greenland, and then coming down south-ish in the direction of Europe. That is actually the shortest flight path. And Gander happens to fall on that flight path. And that flight path has been the same for years and years and years. And so in World War II, Gander's airport was often the last stop for fuel before planes would make the push to Europe. And as such, it was a very busy airport at the time. Well, As planes range increased after World War II, Gander's last stop status declined. It was no longer necessary. Flights became more easily made on a single tank of fuel from somewhere in Europe all the way to their Canada or American destinations without needing to stop and refuel in Gander. But that didn't take the airport away. Gander's airport was still functional, still an international airport. And... On 9-11, Gander became again the destination for more people in a day 
than she theoretically should have been able to handle. If you recall, if you were around on 9-11-2001, when the terrorists crashed planes into the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and into a field in northern Pennsylvania, um, the American Federal Aviation Administration did something it had never done before, and that was ground every single plane flying over U.S. airspace. Literally every plane that was in the air at the time was to put down somewhere at the nearest airport. And that included flights that were bound for the United States from other destinations. So Gander, being outside the United States, received a number of planes that were en route to the United States from other destinations, mostly European destinations. So you can imagine how strange this is. And if you, I, I, I'm not an aviation expert, but interesting to read in the book is when Jim DeFiti talks about how aircraft flying from Europe to the United States are not in constant necessarily radio contact. They're not constantly talking. They have constant connection to a variety of different air traffic controllers and a variety of airspaces, but they're not constantly talking. So as an aircraft that has flown from Europe, has left European airspace, flown over Iceland, flown close to Greenland and is approaching the Canadian and then U.S. mainland of North America, they receive a radio call that is very strange, right? They've been in the air just flying along, headed for their destination. Say it was New York City, again, LaGuardia or JFK or Newark or one of those major airports that services a lot of European flights. And they get a call as they enter Canadian airspace that you're to put down in Gander. And they say, wait, what do you mean put down in Gander? That's not our destination. Our destination is New York. And this is one of those pieces that I didn't know from 9-11. It just didn't strike me that of all the aircraft that needed to be put down in all of the places across the United States and neighboring countries, that pilots would have no idea what was going on, nor would passengers. Because of course not. Because in 2001, everybody didn't have Wi-Fi on a plane. Pilots didn't have direct feeds from the news. And if you were on a plane that was potentially the next weapon to be used against a target somewhere, air traffic control didn't want to tip you off or whoever happened to be in the cockpit at the time if your plane had been taken over. Because remember, again, nobody knew how many planes had been hijacked in the immediate aftermath of the first couple crashes. So air traffic controllers have to be a little bit cagey with the crews that they're talking to aboard the planes. And so they tell them, you'll land in Gander. And there are anecdotes in the book where the pilots say, no, we won't. We're going to continue our flight path unless you tell me exactly why it is I'm supposed to put down in Canada. And air traffic controllers having to literally respond with, if you don't put down in Canada, you will be shot out of the sky. Like there are fighter jets flying to protect the cities and landmarks of the United States that will put your plane on the ground for you if you don't land there. And you can... Imagine again what the undertaking this must have been for air traffic controllers across the country and across the globe to deconflict all this airspace, to make room on runways for more aircraft than were supposed to ever be there at any one time, and to do it all extremely quickly so as not to jeopardize the lives of any innocent civilians and pilots and crews that were on aircraft that had no idea what was going on, that were not actually hijacked, that just needed to get on the ground as quickly as they possibly could. It was quite the undertaking, and the air traffic controllers of 9-11-2001 are absolute heroes in their own right, unsung heroes for the amount of work that they had to do. And you can hear that in the air traffic controller and the flight crew that are at the Gander Airport. I think there's one or two people that are in the Gander Airport air traffic control tower 
at the time that this call comes through that planes need to put down there. And they start immediately making it happen. And again, this is a town of 10,000 or so people in eastern Canada that hasn't seen this quantity of aircraft, never mind this quantity of people. 38 aircraft, almost 6,600 passengers forced to land and be there all at the same time. And this episode will come out just a couple of months after the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks of 9-11. And I don't talk much about and won't talk much about the details of that day, aside from the, the aviation side of things, because they're so well known. You can find any number of podcasts that'll do a far better job talking about it than I could. I was alive. I was in high school. I remember that day. But I'm not going to go into detail on it. You can find those stories elsewhere. And what follows is a is a just an amazing story. I, I love the fact that somebody took the time to find Trace Down and conduct all the interviews and research to write this book. Because this is one of those books that you end up feeling very good about. It was a very tragic day. It was a tremendous loss of life across the board for not just Americans, but other nations as well. And not just firefighters and and, and civilians, but children and, and and visitors from other countries and all manner of things that you would hope would never, ever be the case. And so it was a day chock full of tragedy. People who dropped their loved ones off at the airport and never saw them again. Don't even have a body to to bury. They just know that they were on a flight and they never came home. Or they kissed their spouse goodbye or their child goodbye and sent them to work or to daycare in the World Trade Centers, and they never came home. But yet in Gander, Newfoundland, in Canada, a town of 10,000 people rallied to support 66, 6,700 passengers. I mean, that's a 60% increase in the residents of the town of Gander almost instantaneously. And just imagine that. Imagine your hometown. Imagine that you live near an airport or you're in a small uh, town with a small airport that used to be of, of great import, but not anymore. And because of whatever events happen, 60% of your local population lands in your backyard overnight. What do you do? How do you even begin to do whatever it is that you determine that you should do? Just imagine trying to take care of 60% more people than you otherwise would. I mean, that's that's a huge undertaking. It's, it's about to be the holidays here. It's about to be Thanksgiving and Christmas and Boxing Day and a variety of others. And people travel. People visit. Imagine the stress that you feel just from having family visit. Or imagine the stress that you induce in somebody else by visiting them. And it's not a bad thing, necessarily, but it is stress. It's an aberration from the normal daily life. Your normal daily life is probably you, maybe a significant other, maybe kids, maybe not, maybe a pet or two. And then all of a sudden, for a couple of days at a time, there's a number of extra people around. People to feed, people to talk to, people to ensure that they're comfortable, make sure that they have all the creature comforts that they need, etc., etc. Now imagine that, but on a much, much larger scale, and how that impacts that's the equivalent of a family of five having three additional people come to visit. Now you've got eight people. It's similar to that, but on a much, much larger scale. And the book talks about this in detail, and Jim does a great job of laying out some of the challenges that you just don't think about in scenarios like this. Things like the local pharmacy. People are landing with what they thought they would have needed for a quick transatlantic flight, relatively quick transatlantic flight, and now they're stuck in Gander for days. 
And the local pharmacy doesn't have the medications that that individual necessarily needs, never mind 6,600 people's worth of it, medications. Where do you put 6,600 people to sleep? I don't know of a, ten, a town of 10,000 people that has 6,600 spare beds. So where do all these people sleep? Where do they bathe? What do they eat? I mean, a town of 10,000 people is rarely equipped to feed 16 or 17,000 instead. And yet these people need to eat. They're hungry. The planes didn't come fully stocked for multiple days worth of food for their passengers. They expected to land at an airport and disgorge their passengers to go eat at the many and varied restaurants in a city like New York that can absorb 6,600 people and does without a problem. But Gander wasn't prepared for that. So I'm going to read the quote again and, and think about some of these things. Think about the confusion of the pilots, the even greater confusion for the passengers. Think about the town of Gander and the fact that they were going about their business on a random day of the week, only to have it violently interrupted in the most heinous of circumstances as its neighboring country was attacked by terrorists, and then the way that they rallied. So here's the quote again, again from Jim DeFeedy's book, The Day the World Came to Town. Quote, Gander, located in the central highlands of Newfoundland. 38 planes landed there on September 11th, depositing 6,595 passengers and crew members in a town whose population is barely 10,000. For the better part of a week, nearly every man, woman, and child in Gander and the surrounding small towns, places with names like Gambo and Appleton and Lewisport and Norris Arm, stopped what they were doing so they could help. They placed their lives on hold for a group of strangers and asked for nothing in return. They affirmed the basic goodness of man at a time when it was easy to doubt such humanity still existed. If the terrorists had hoped that their attacks would reveal the weaknesses in Western society, the events in Gander proved its strength. End quote. So again, pause for a moment and imagine the challenges that come with something like this. Imagine that the nearest airport just had all these people unloaded. What would you do? And we all know already how difficult travel can be. We know that there are stresses and there are annoyances and there's passive aggressive behavior as people jockey for position in line for their planes or stand up a little too early in the aisle to get off of the plane. People are selfish. And then imagine being on one of those planes. You have no idea about what happened in New York or Washington, D.C. or Virginia or Pennsylvania at the time. You have no idea. All you know is you're landing an hour and a half or two hours ahead of time because you weren't supposed to touch down for a couple more hours in New York, and now you're landing in a strange airport. And, oh, by the way, nobody's necessarily telling you what's going on right away because, again, nobody knows if another terrorist is on board your plane. So nobody's coming on board and saying, everybody relax. Twin Towers in New York City, the Pentagon has happened, and, and everything's going to be fine. Just bear with us for a moment here. Nobody knows who's a good guy and who's a bad guy at this point. So we've got planes on the ground and nobody can get off of these planes until we're sure that they're not terrorists, until we've done the necessary checks. Imagine the stress that that causes on top of the stress that already exists. And a lot of them were forced to circle the runway. They were then forced to taxi and park away from the terminal with the doors shut and just wait. September is not necessarily the, the, the coolest month. These planes are sitting on the runway, some of them low on fuel because they're coming on the end of their trips, and they're forced to just keep their passengers there, and the pilots can't tell them what's going on, and they have to wait until all the other planes that the passengers can see out their windows, which have sirens and police cars approaching them, are cleared, and then it's their turn. You can imagine how stressful that would be for the passengers. 
And Gander overcame all of this with kindness and creativity and compassion. And it's a beautiful story. It, it really speaks to the wonderful people in Gander and the things that they did for folks, going to their homes and stripping the linens off of their beds to take them to the airport so that people who are forced to sleep in airplane hangars had something to wrap themselves up in. Going and digging out children's toys from the attic for kids that had long since moved out of their home and bringing them to the airport so that the children on these planes would have toys to play with. It's an amazing story of human compassion and kindness overcoming the worst of circumstances and setting a story in motion that has been told over and over and over again. If you haven't heard of Gander, I encourage you to go and look up the town. Because the people that were there that day, and those days that followed, still stay in touch with a lot of the people that they helped. The story closes with folks from Gander actually taking people back to, taking them from the airport to the border, and sometimes beyond the border, to get them home. People who had important events that they needed to attend, that they didn't have time to wait for the airlines to get back up and running after this debacle. People got in their cars and drove from Gander to Maine to New York, set up and coordinated chains of people to help get people home. It's just amazing. And I guess the lesson for us here as we, we wrap up today is that it can be very, very easy to be self-absorbed by default. Our lives revolve around us. We have our routine. We do things that are good for us. We know how we like things. From our morning coffee to our commute to what we listen to while we commute to the way our day unfolds to the way we plan our day, the fact that we have plans for tomorrow and the day beyond. And then something like this happens and we're asked to respond. Not asked. The world almost demands it. And we all have within us what those in Gander did. For as amazing as the people in Gander were in the way that they rallied around all these strangers at the time, the people in Gander are not necessarily special. They're not a special breed of humanity. We all possess within us the capacity that the folks in Gander did on 9-11. Now, most of us will never, I hope, ever see it tested in the way that the folks in Gander did. But that doesn't mean that we don't have that capacity. And we don't have to wait for tragedy to strike to show it. You can demonstrate a fraction of the capacity, a fraction of the time, in small acts of compassion and kindness. And if you can't think of one, just wait. The time will present itself. Whether it's helping a person to their car with their groceries. Whether it is picking up something that somebody dropped on the sidewalk and returning it to them. Whether it is saying a kind word to someone who looks like they're down, or even a kind word to somebody who doesn't look like they're down, because who at the end of the day doesn't like a kind word? You can show the capacity for kindness, generosity, creativity, and humanity that the folks in Gander did, and so can I. So that's our lesson as we walk away today. Be like the people in Gander on 9-11 in 2001. When the world was struck by tragedy, they rose to the occasion and demonstrated the better angels of humanity to not just the 6,600 passengers that landed there on those 38 aircraft, but to everyone around the globe and set an example that carries forth to the 20th anniversary of that fateful day and beyond. Until next time, I'm Matthew Monroe. This is Quotations, and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app or visit me at quotationspod.com to download and listen. 
please also take a moment to recommend the podcast to a friend. That's a huge help. You can tweet at me at quotationspod. Send me an email to quotationspod at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram at quotationspod. Or join the conversation on Facebook at quotationspod. I look forward to hearing from you. Welcome your feedback. And thanks, as always, for listening.